All right, let's grab our Bibles and go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right there as we begin this morning. We're walking through a series called Changed, and we come to this character quality, this quality of Christ in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. And it's the quality of gentleness. It's kind of a strange quality, uh, especially if you're a guy. Usually not what most men today, just right out of the gate, just right off the bat, first thing, I want to be known as being someone who is, above all, gentle. Be like, man, that dude, he's gentle. Like we, that's not the way that most of our, the guys, we're wired. We have many of you guys this morning shaking your head, absolutely not. Alright, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that quality as Jesus explains it in Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to focus and hone in on verses 28, 29, and 30 of Matthew 11. And as you're finding that place, I just want to to praise the Lord today for this day that should not have happened. Um, today is the, I guess, our anniversary, our fifth anniversary of being together as a church family Uh, Five years I've been your pastor, and it has been an awesome, awesome ride. I love you guys. You know, it's not supposed to happen that the church, as we were five years ago, is supposed to, number one, call uh, someone like me to be their pastor. Um, But the Lord led you guys, and He led both of us, and we came here, and we talked, and and God led me to come here, and God led you guys to call me. And uh, before I came here, it was actually put forward in the church on a Sunday morning, um, a proposition of Rocky Mount Baptist Church closing its doors. Um, there had been uh, a decrease in, in a lot of areas, and you know, 40 or 50 people on a Sunday morning, and it's time struggling to keep the, the lights on and so forth. And it was put forward. What do you guys want to do? And uh, one of our, our godly men, uh, and he's here this morning, George Amos. And uh, George came to the front and spoke through the microphone and in a sense said, I believe that God still has a plan for Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And George, you're right, brother. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Now, now when I came, it was a much different church than we are today. And I think for the first week, you got first first eight weeks, y'all scared me, and I scared you. It was it was a mutual relationship there. And then, and I, I, I told one of one of the leaders here, and I said, you know, it just doesn't seem like anybody moves or says amen. It's just kind of like everybody stands very sits very still. And he said, well, just keep just keep preaching the Bible, keep teaching God's word. And what we saw is an incredible example of you guys reaching out to your friends and your family. People begin to come. People begin to get saved. People started coming to church. And in 2012, I think it was a real game changer, we went to Costa Rica. And the first mission trip that we had done as a church was in 1987. How many of you guys were on that trip? Montreal, Canada, First Baptist Church, Vacation Bible School. You guys used the church bus right back in the day when churches had buses, but no church would actually spend the money to buy an awesome bus. You guys broke down, right? 
And I think Roy Lemons just told the bus straighten up and it fixed itself, you know. And they got, they were able to get home and, and that was kind of the first international trip that Rocky Mount Baptist Church had done. In 2012, a group of us, we went overseas international and man, it came, we came back and lives were changed. Then uh, a year later, we went to Romania and Sue, uh, they were like, several vampires that you led to the Lord there in Romania. Like it was awesome. It was awesome. And so we, we were able to do that. We saw the Lord do that. And then we almost made it to, uh, to an area of Asia to do outreach and connection with an unreached people group. But God's sovereignty moved in such a way that, that we weren't able to go on that trip. But we went to Costa Rica again. And just about a month ago, this stage was filled with people telling about how God had worked through your prayers and through your giving to send them there so that they could minister to these kids who many didn't have supplies to even go to school. Praise God. And what we've seen, what we've seen in Rocky Mount Baptist Church is the Lord has provided financially so that we're able to do ministry and missions more than we were a few years ago. And let me just stop at this point. I'm excited this morning and in no way do we want the glory to go to the pastor, to the church, but the glory goes to Jesus Christ. And it is a testimony. Rocky Mount Baptist Church is a testimony of a church that experienced decline that many people say what you need to do is just close the door. But God says, I'm not through. I'm not through. And many of you are here today because a group of people years ago said, we don't believe that God is finished with Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And as people begin to come, they brought children. We didn't really know what to do because it had been so long since we had children here. In fact, the entire area back in the nursery was kind of like, do y'all remember, I don't know if Sam still does this when you're checking out at Sam's and you've got this massive pile of boxes that you can get and bring home. They still do that? Okay, that was my favorite part about Sam's because you could bring home a box and make yourself a fort out of it. It was like our children's area had, and the children this morning are excited about what the Lord has done, Right? And, and it was filled with boxes because we didn't have any, we didn't have any kids back there. And we prayed, we said, Lord, would you bring us folks who can help us reach families with children? And Jessica and Wanda, the Lord provided you guys. They started what is now known as Rocky Mount Baptist Church Children's Ministry. And it is absolutely flourishing. They are outgrowing that room. We had to, we're now using the Tykes area. How many of you are Tykes? We got some tykes. All right, tykes graduates. Thank you all for letting us use your space. We're using that on Sunday morning because we didn't have room uh, down in the lower level. And then vacation Bible school, we've seen that, Angela. Whoop, whoop. Every year the Lord has blessed through that. And, and Morgan and Trish, the years you guys did it. And Chuck and Leanne, the fr- I was here for like a week. And we had a one-day VBS and we were up here. Chuck had a shirt on that had Homer Simpson. I was like, I like this guy. Right? He's running VBS and he's like, Homer. Alright? And so, and so we've just seen the Lord year after year bring families and bring students. And, and we even learn every year we do it. Like this year, Angela, we're not having the little kids have recreation right after they eat. Because last year there was a child who gave up his hot dog that he had just eaten as an offering to the Lord inside the bouncy house. I'll let you figure out the details. And when you're a little kid, you see something, you want to make it bounce. And so, uh, praise God for a godly man who's going to, was that too much? That's exactly what happened. It's the truth. We want to preach the truth. And we had a godly man who said, well, somebody's like, we need, right, read, somebody's got to clean this up. He's like, I got it. 
I got, he just, and he cleaned it up and it was, it was awesome. And so what we've, we've had is we've, we've grown and, and we've learned and we've learned together. And you guys, um, the Lord's provided us, uh, people to do, uh, different types of music that reach out to different types of people. And in most churches that were in our situation, if you had these on stage, drums, djembe, percussion, you better well block the door. Because we're having a business meeting. And if you're not from a church background, if that comment made no sense, praise God. All right. But if you've had a church background, I mean, a lot of times when, when you do things in such a way to reach people, many times the people inside the church are not really interested in reaching people. They're interested in staying comfortable. But we have Rocky Mount Baptist Church that said we want to reach um, our community. We've done a lot of the physical improvements at the church, which you guys have been able to uh, to have a vision to do. Um, we were at the time, we were associated with the state convention um, that would not necessarily affirm that the Bible is the word of God. We voted 100% as a church family to do missions and part to partner together with um, a group that actually believed that the Bible was the word of God and we didn't need to complain uh, about it or apologize for it. And what we've seen God do is bring people from all different walks of life. I mean, we have construction people, teachers, homeschool moms, white collar, blue collar, uh, landscaping. I mean, you name it, the Lord has brought people here because one thing that we have in common is that Jesus Christ is a mighty Savior. And none of us are any better than the other, but we simply want to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for those of you who God has laid it upon your heart to teach. And we've seen new classes formed. And one of our classes said the other week it was difficult fitting everyone in the area that they were given to fit people. On a Sunday morning in 2015, busting at the seams, coming. And then last year, I think it's so awesome. We've got a a young adult class that started. And the two teachers is Mark, the Sultan of the SWAT team, Sweeney. And then we have Kyle Lynch, who goes to the Mojave Desert and trains in heavy artillery. And those guys are the ones who are leading that young adult class. So what they do is they do push-ups and then they study the Bible. That's that's the way that they roll. Uh, And then you guys have been so patient with me as we walk through a journey together. When I came here, I was single. Do you know how awkward it is to have a single pastor? How awkward it can be. Thank you. They're like, it's not the single status. It's just you, bro. All right. But thank you guys for those of y'all that ran interference. Because I heard a rumor that when I came, well, I've got somebody he can meet. Got somebody needs to stop doing drive-bys and shooting people. But she needs a good man, right? You know, one of those types of things where like they see you and they think that you can help people with things that only Jesus can help with, right? Have you ever been set up by someone and God told them something that he didn't tell you? All right. You guys were so patient and you were so gracious. And then God provided Jen. Isn't she cool? I mean, she is. I I love this woman right here. She's patient and she's, and she's awesome. And she can cook like nobody's business. Like sometimes when we finish eating, I just want to punch a hole in the wall. It's so good. Like it is, it is awesome. Um, and it was so funny, like, well, pastor, pastor's got a girlfriend. Like, is she a t- secretary? What kind of church is this? You know, it's like, no, no, he's a single pastor. Y'all didn't get that. He's a single pastor, and, and he's never been married before, but, you know, he's, he's dating someone, and, and, and she came here, and, and those of you that enjoyed making that awkward for me, thank you, and God will get you back. 
All right? For those of you that remember comments that I cannot mention this morning, and that's saying a lot. All right? Um, but, but it's interesting, too, for those of you, if, if this is not your church home, um, and, and you, you go to a church where there's a single pastor or a youth minister, remember the fir- for the first several hundred years of the church before it was corrupted um, by a union of, of government or empire and, and church, it was led mostly by single men. And so if you're in that situation and God has given you leadership that's not yet married, pray for them uh, and support them uh, as you guys have done to me. And here's some things that I've learned from you guys, Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I've learned um, what it actually means to be a family. Um, For one of our families that was in need, uh, we had families bringing meals. And one person told me, they said, we wanted to help out. But when we looked at the schedule, there were meals provided for two and a half weeks out. We want to help, but it's taken care of at that point, so put us on the schedule. Being able to actually connect with people, um, caring for one another. When people get that diagnosis, when a tragedy happens, you guys, like no church I've ever seen, you're there. And we can give money to people, but when you're hurting and when the bottom falls out, your family is there. Amen? And I've, I've been blown away by it. Back when when I had uh, my issues with my back, how gracious you guys were. Unbelievable. And what I've seen, probably one of the most powerful examples of the gospel in your life is a lot of you are like Andrew. Uh, We were having our men's Bible study uh, this past Wednesday uh, in the morning and with with our men. And by the way, guys, we're doing a Wednesday morning Bible study, 6 a.m. We're going to be studying John chapter 2 this Wednesday. Come and join us. We pray and we study the Word of God. uh, And then we go to work. We looked at Andrew and how we saw, as many preachers have said, that Andrew, you don't see him speaking a whole lot in the Bible, but every time you see Andrew mentioned, it seems like he's bringing people to Jesus. Bringing people to Jesus. And what I've learned from you is the power of friendships and relationships that can be mended through the gospel. I mean, many of you that were lost, but now you're saved, you are here this morning. Your heart has been changed. Your your finances don't look the same because Jesus has changed your heart. And it happened because somebody here was led by the Spirit and reached out to you. And praise God for that. So five years. It's not supposed to last, especially when you combine me and combined what the church was. But we believe that Jesus is a mighty Savior and we still got a lot of work to do. Tens of thousands of people just in Franklin County don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what we want to do is reach them for the gospel. So here's a couple of things that we need to remember as we go, as we go forward. Um, we want to see people. You say, Jeff, what's the end game for you guys? The end game is the glory of God. But we want to see people converted, changed to Jesus Christ, not to a new style of music and not to some dead tradition. The Lord can use, the Lord can use music, the old stuff, the new stuff. He can use VBS, but we want, if you're not saved here today, we want you to repent, become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's our end game. That's what we want, and God will be glorified through that. We, we, we can continue as we've done to put aside our personal preferences. Listen, all of us have personal preferences. We'd love to see things done a certain way or to continue or to change, but let's continue to keep the main thing the main thing. Can we do that? Brothers and sisters, my family here this morning, so that the gospel can go forward. And let's just, as we go forward, let's remember and keep in mind that missions is not an expense line in our budget. But missions is what we do, plain and simple. Everything from VBS to jail ministry to Costa Rica to uh, countries 
overseas uh, in very difficult areas of the world. It's not a deduction. It's not an expense. That is who we, that's who we are. And let's continue to do that. Amen. Well, let's jump into the word, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what we're going to try to do with these few minutes as we have remaining with the first half of this teaching this morning, is see that gentleness is actually meekness, but it's a meekness that's actually applied. Uh, If you've read your Bible, you remember Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he comes to verse 5 of Matthew chapter 5, where he said, "Uh, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness simply means power under control. And here's a mind-blowing thought for those of you that love mining the Word of God and going deep. The word for gentleness here, and the word that the Apostle Paul uses for gentleness in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, and the same one that Jesus uses to describe meekness, it's one and the same word. So why is it translated with one with meekness and one with gentleness? Because gentleness is meekness applied. Gentleness is when God changes our heart, when our power becomes under the control of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness is the product. Gentleness is the outworking of meekness. If you're taking notes, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Moses was said to be a meek man. Jesus, as we read in verse 29 here, he says that he is meek or gentle and lowly of heart. And in fact, the word for gentleness or meekness was used in that first century world for taming wild animals. So those of you that are parents sometimes can identify with that, to tame that which is wild. And the word has to do with meekness and gentleness. It has to do with not thinking more highly of ourselves than we actually ought to. You see, when we relate to one another as family members, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to remember that gentleness, meekness, is a quality of Jesus. It's mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you, or I am pleading for your attention. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You see, the quality of Christ is that, that fame and, and fame and success are never excuses for treating people in an unchrist way. In fact, with Jesus, he was famous, but yet he still treated people with gentleness, meekness, and kindness. And for our guys, we have to understand that when the Bible says gentleness, it is not an enemy of justice. All right, so it's saying, it's not saying if you're gentle, then therefore you're not just. If you're gentle, then you simply believe that justice shouldn't exist. And it's not, it's not a friend of weakness. It simply means that we are Christ-centered in the application of justice. And so we call today humane treatment. That comes from the Bible. Humane treatment of prisoners of war, of prisoners who have committed crimes, humane treatment of animals. All of that comes from the nature of God. Because if God is good and God is loving, it means that we should reflect that, right? I mean, all the way down to how we take care of our animals, it is a reflection of who God actually is. 
And, and the root, I guess we could say the definition of gentleness is not being overly impressed with our own sense of self-importance. That may be a good place for some of us to stop, shouldn't it? Not being overly impressed with our own sense of self-importance. Because you see, pride says, I'm important. I'm better than this person. I'm better than this situation. I don't deserve X, Y, and Z. But humility and gentleness realizes that in those times, we have an opportunity to show the love of Christ. Gentleness and meekness is actually the opposite of being overbearing. Have you ever worked with somebody who's overbearing? They just don't stop. It's continual. Maybe it's a parent. And you say, Jeff, growing up, I could never, ever please my parent. Didn't matter what I did. I could never please them. The scripture says that gentleness and meekness, it's the opposite of being impossible to please. And for those of you that enjoy thinking on the deep things, meekness, gentleness, loyalty, every single virtue makes no sense if God does not exist. If God does not exist, then there's no ultimate foundation. There's no grounding for morality. Morality is simply something that we as humans, as a herd, as a higher animal, have developed in order so that we could continue to live and have a better society. But you can't actually say that it's actually wrong and something that we know is right, such as loyalty, gentleness, humane treatment, is actually a good thing. You see, if God is removed from the picture, then vice and virtue pretty much become indistinguishable. So we say that to the atheist, that if God is removed from the picture, then all becomes meaningless in terms of right and wrong. So what does Jesus actually say, now that we kind of understand what gentleness and meekness is, what does Jesus actually say that gentleness looks like? Well, notice in verse 28, here's what Jesus said. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, notice that Jesus says this to a specific group of people. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He's saying that if you've got burdens, you have the invitation. That's good news. That's good news. He's saying that if you have burdens, if you have, if you've been laden down by whether it's legalism or guilt from our own failures, you are welcome. You are invited. And here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 11, verse 46. He says, woe to you lawyers, for you load people up with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You see, in Jesus' time, there were people who would create laws for everybody else, but they wouldn't even keep the laws that they create. You know what we call that today? A hypocrite. And Jesus was saying, all of you that are laden down, you are burdened with trying to be good enough for some human contrived system. He says, come to me. That's good news. For some people, they say, Jeff, I don't think, I don't think I've ever been able in my mind to be good enough. Jesus says, come to me. Some of us, we say, well, Jeff, I, I made mistakes years ago. I've got shame and guilt and regret that I just can't seem to get past. Jesus says, come to me. You're the perfect person that Jesus wants. Because you see, it's through our mistakes. It's through our burdens. Notice what he says. You who labor, you're trying. Doesn't mean you've given up. Some of you say, well, Jeff, I try and I try and I try and I try. But it doesn't seem like anything works. Jesus has come unto me. That's from Jesus. And you can take that to the bank. You can come if you have weariness. And then notice what Jesus says in verse 29. He says, take my yoke 
upon you and learn from me. You see, Jesus, by saying, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, join up and I will give you purpose. A yoke was something that the oxen would pull together. Something that you put across your back. You're probably familiar with yoke. Jesus is saying, join up because there is slavery, there's depression, there is hopelessness and purposelessness in work and in recreation. And in America, man, we are entertaining ourselves to death. I mean, you know how sad it is for most of our folks, our neighbors, our friends? Maybe some of you here this morning, and we work so that we can get to vacation. And by the time we get to vacation, we're so worn out from work, we can't enjoy the vacation. And then once the vacation's done, then we wait for the weekend. And once the weekend's over, we just dread the weekend. We get to the weekend, and that is a slavery. Jesus is saying that if you take my yoke upon you, if you become a follower of me in your life, I'll give you purpose. That means no matter what job we work, man, I mean, you can be stocking shelves, you can be a student, you can be hiring and firing. And through all of those jobs, no matter what they are, Jesus Christ offers purpose. You say, well, Jeff, you don't understand the job that I work. Jesus does and your family does. And by staying faithful to Christ, trying to be a witness for him in a very, very difficult job, is one of the greatest blessings that your family could ever have. And here's the reason why. A lot of people will look at that and say, man, how do you continue under that type of burden? How do you continue under that load? How do you continue to work and not lose your sanity? And that can be an incredible, incredible answer for the power of God. Because you get the same calls that the people do on your work. You're in the same meetings, you get the same orders, you drive in the same vehicles. But when Christ comes into your life and you take on that yoke, that purposeful work, it changes how people see your work. And notice what Jesus said. He doesn't just say start following this certain standard that I've set out that has nothing to do with me. Look what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's saying, I'll be your teacher. I'll be your tutor. He's saying that like in John, where the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help, it's an incredible thing when God begins to work in our life because he's with us. I don't know if you've ever started a job and somebody said, here's the job Here's the sheet of paper. Do the job. See you later. And the ball, and they just leave. And you're like, I've never done the job. I've never seen it done. Jesus Christ says, I will come alongside you to teach you what it means to be a follower of me. And here's possibly the most beautiful part of this passage of scripture. When you get hooked up, when you sign up and you're pulling and you're working, you're in the yoke, you are serving with other people. The call to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not a call for us to just become long ranger Christians. But it's a call to come alongside Christ and work with other people. And Jesus says, when you learn from me, notice how he describes himself. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Great illustration of that is Matthew 21, 5, where Jesus was coming riding on a young donkey. Imagine that. 
Imagine, imagine the fame that builds and builds and builds and builds. And Jesus having that fame, everybody knew that he was coming into town. I mean, this was the great moment that Jesus, the one who raised the dead, the one who always had an answer for the Pharisees every time to where they went away and they said, well, there's nothing that we can even rebut against his argument. And here he comes into Jerusalem. What a great time to PR Jesus, right? Those of you that are in, the, in that type of thing, I mean, what a great public relations opportunity. I mean, let's find him the black stallion. Let's find him the biggest, baddest horse. I mean, it could kill a tiger with one kick. I mean, put him on that. And the disciples, I mean, with cutoffs, Carhartt, you know, Peter was wearing one. I mean, walking alongside him, carrying their fishing nets, and Peter's got his shank because he carried concealed. And so they're walking into Jerusalem, and they're like, this is the one who raises the dead. Guess what? We could start a war with Rome. They kill our soldiers. Jesus could be like, they're all raised up again. Great military strategy. This is who we worship. Uh, Mr. Roman, you take him off. He won't heal you from leprosy. He'll give you it. Boom! I mean, all of it was building up to this massive event. And Jesus was going to come into town. And then he tells his disciples, go find a little donkey. Now, you know, because the disciples didn't get it by this point. By the way, they didn't really get it. It didn't really click until after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It didn't click. So if you look back on your life and you say, how could I hear the gospel all those years and it didn't click? It's a sovereign move of God. Like when it happens, when it clicks, God uses things, but he's the one who saves. He's the one who regenerates. We respond, but God is the one who does the work. And then, and then they're not getting at this point, and they're like, he's going to walk in front of, or excuse me, he would pretty much walk because his legs would hit the ground. That's right. He, he's he's going he's gonna to sit on a common, nobody wants to ride that when you get your driver's license for donkeys when you turn 16 type of ride. And he's going to do that in front of people in the town, in the capital, like where everybody's watching. And I don't know if they're like Franklin County, but if they weren't watching and they know somebody who was, they know it very quickly. <laughs> kind of Franklin County, we went to, um, to Chick-fil-A the other week to get the free chicken sandwich if you dress up like a cow. We hadn't even gotten through the line. I get a text from somebody who's not even there. So you're dressing up like a cow? Because somebody that he knew, knew him, they didn't even talk to us. They texted him, your pastor's here dressing like a cow. I was like, Jen, we can't get away with anything. It doesn't matter how far we go. And I will dress like a cow. I will do, there's not many things I won't do for free chicken. Come on. And people are seeing that and they're like, how, how is Jesus, why would you do that? Because here, here's the reason. Jesus rode a common, almost embarrassing type of ride on the high publicity day because of this. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. Nobody got it. They didn't. And he said, here's, here's the king. They threw down the palm leaves. A week later, they were asking for his death. You read the Old Testament, you find military heroes, Naaman the Syrian, amazing warrior, had leprosy. God said, I want you to go to the Jordan River and I want you to go down in the water and I'll give specific instructions to my prophet. Naaman said, I will not. You see, you see, I'm Naaman. I'm famous. I have accolades. I have 
people that I've conquered. I have all of these things that I've done. I'm naming. There are many better rivers. There are many hotels that I could stay at in Syria that are far better than those dirty rivers in Judea. But God said through the prophet, I want you to go down under the water multiple times. In a country that people look down on, in a river that everybody considered dirty, here was the full bird. I mean, if they would have had medals, he would have had them hanging off of both shoulders. And here he is, finally. He bowed his knee to the Most High God by doing what God said, even though it was humiliating. And then when Naaman came up out of the water the last time, the Bible says his skin was like a little baby. And I think about Jesus going to the cross. Jesus riding that embarrassing animal in front of all those people. And I think about Naaman's pride and I say, you know, how often in my life have I been like Naaman and say, God, you're calling me to do these things, but it may be, it may be embarrassing. For some people, you, maybe you come here a whole lot and, and you know that you need to become a follower of Christ. And when Jesus says that you will find rest for your souls, you say, that's what I need. But something's kept you, whether it's being baptized, you say, well, that'd be humiliating. Or whether it's walking down when we give the invitation, you say, that would be something that I'm not able to do. Your name in. And until you humble yourself, God will not work in your life. But when you come to Jesus and see that humility is the key to true strength, that when we come to the place to where God changes our heart and we have that meekness, which is power under control, and then God changes our heart so that our actions change and that begins to manifest itself through gentleness and through kindness and through giving grace to people who do not deserve it, it is an absolute renaissance in your life and your heart because Jesus is creating in you and in me who He is. And that's where true freedom comes. Not To not have to be noticed, that's strength. Some of us are enslaved by people thinking that people have to think that we're the prettiest one, best looking one have the best ride, we have to be smart, we, we're, we're the ones that people say, we want people to say, well, they've got the answer. Listen, when we come to Jesus, it no longer has to be that people notice us for our skills. In fact, it may be most glorifying to Jesus to say, you know what, I don't really want to talk about my skills. I'm going to stop trying to jockey myself into first place, whether in an argument or whether in public in any sphere. But the focus of my life is just for people to see how great and beautiful and kind and amazing and powerful Jesus Christ is. And when that begins to shift, that's when the renaissance comes. That's when uh, we truly experience what God has planned for us, which is to be saved, to be born again, to be rescued from the wrath of God that is in hell for all eternity. You see, hell is a real place filled with real people. It is. A lot of people don't believe that. A lot of Bible teachers don't teach that, but it's true. And God loves you. He loves me. And we have to be faithful to what the Scripture says.